0: Welcome to the Trinity's Podcast, where we explore theories about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you love God enough to think about Him?
1: Episode 64 Dr. Mark C. Murphy on Anselmianism About God in early November 2014, I had the privilege of recording Dr. Mark Murphy as he gave an interesting presentation about perfect being theology. That'll be our main feature today. But before we get to that, some feedback from a listener named John Bainbridge. He emails, Thanks for your great podcast. We continue to enjoy it over here in Marseille, France. I have gone through in some detail the book authored by your previous interviewee, Stephen Holmes. And as I have been listening to the recent shows on preexistence, it started dawning on me that I do not have a clue when John eight fifty eight became significant. This evening I went back to the back of Doctor Holmes's book where there is the biblical reference section, and the verse does not seem even to be mentioned in the entire book. So can you please help us understand more particularly when you consider this became a key text for Trinitarian theology and the context? Final question. What is the significance, in your view, if we remove John 7.53 to 8.11 and just read through from 7.52 to 8.12? Well, I'll take the second question first because it's easier. If we take the advice of textual scholars and omit 7.53 through 8.11, then the only difference I can see it would make is that it just makes all the more clear that the issue is Jesus' claim that he's the Messiah. Even though people are arguing with him and doubting him in chapter 7, it says in verse 31, Yet many in the crowd believed in him and were saying, When the Messiah comes, will he do more signs than this man has done? But of course, we already know from the whole context of John that the issue is Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. Maybe it's a little more clear if we're not distracted by this incident of the woman caught in adultery. As far as your other question Yes, this has been raised on the blog as well, and I don't know what the answer is, but I'm going to look into this. I don't recall in early authors seeing them appeal to John eight fifty eight. That's where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, to prove that Jesus is God or that Jesus is fully divine or that he has a divine nature or that he's a part of the Trinity. I'm going to dig around as best I can in the ancient Catholic authors and see when this first comes into play. Can you help me out if you have time to search through say the works of Origen or Novation or Tertullian and see if they make any theological use of John 8:58? Can you post it to the blog post for this episode? I'll let you know what I've found next week. Dr. Mark C. Murphy has his PhD from the University of Notre Dame. He is currently the Robert L. McDevitt and Catherine H. McDevitt Chair in Religious Philosophy at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. His areas of research include ethics, political philosophy, philosophy of law, philosophy of religion, and the philosophy of the important early modern English philosopher Thomas Hobbes. He is the author of a great many professional articles and book chapters, and his books include Natural Law and Practical Rationality, 2001, an Essay on Divine Authority, 2002, Natural Law and Jurisprudence and Politics, 2006, Philosophy of Law, The Fundamentals, 2006, and God and Moral Law on the Theistic Explanation of Morality, 2011. I had the privilege of recording Dr. Murphy in early November 2014 at a conference entitled Themes from Van Inwagen the 2014 Eastern Regional Meeting of the Society of Christian Philosophers. This was hosted at Niagara University in Niagara, New York, and the conference was organized by the inimitable John Keller. The theme of Dr. Murphy's talk is what he calls Anselmianism about God. St. Anselm was the Roman Catholic Archbishop of Canterbury and an important medieval Christian philosopher. He defined the concept of God as that than which no greater can be thought. And using that concept, he famously gave an argument for the existence of God, that's called the ontological argument, and he also argued that God must have certain attributes, such as omnipotence and existing in eternity. If he didn't have those features, then he would not be that than which no greater can be thought. Philosophers nowadays call this sort of reasoning perfect being theology. But how should we understand these arguments? is the idea that god is the greatest possible being or is the idea that god is absolutely perfect those seem like two different ideas dr murphy interacts with the work of peter van Inwagen, the eminent christian philosopher to whom the conference was dedicated and also the philosophers of religion eugen nagasawa and jeff speaks dr murphy was kind enough to pass along the slides that he presented during this talk you can find these as a PDF file on the blog post for this episode at trinities.org. Also, you may want to watch this on YouTube. Using the same audio, I've added his slides at the appropriate times. Without further ado then, Dr. Murphy.
0: Thank you very much. So, I've, in, I've enjoyed the conference so far. I've really, uh, papers have been terrific. I want to make a few sort of small Additions, or, or I hope some sort of few sort of helpful interventions on a big topic. This question about Anselmianism about God. So, so I guess part of this, I'm going to be saying something about what I take like the traditional understanding of Anselmianism to be, or the traditional method. Make a few comments about a few contemporary practitioners of um, and self-described Anselmians about God, and then make a few sort of criticisms of their views. I hope we can get some good discussion going. What I want to say is that. To be an Anselmian about God, or this very sort of popular way of thinking about, thinking about the divine nature, um, and trying to draw further implications from it, is to just think of God as a maximally great being. I don't think to be an Anselmian in this particular sense involves like rejecting other forms of classical theistic approach. So for, so for example, one might think like the best sort of fundamental theology is like Aquinas' theology. But nevertheless, Aquinas believed that God was absolutely perfect and you might be an Anselmian uh, in, that, in that sense, while nevertheless holding on to some other sort of form of, of fundamental theology as well, okay? So as far as I'm concerned, all that's involved here in being an Anselmian is to have a certain view about sort of what makes a being qualify as God, um, that is to be sort of maximally great. Here are a couple of contemporary Anselmians and their way of sort of specifying the Anselmian view. That's the best picture. Peter, that is the greatest picture of you. I, I found this online, I don't know what. Uh, I looked for the highest resolution picture I could find. Uh, it's a great, great picture of Peter. So um, Peter's an Anselmian. He characterizes it, and this is the way a lot of Anselmians characterize it. In fact, I think a lot of Anselmians think this is just what Anselmianism is, is to characterize God as the greatest possible being. I'm gonna have some criticisms of that in part following Jeff Speaks later on, uh, later on in the session. Here's a second Anselmian, and uh, you might be able to see where, where his view is sort of already beginning, take on sort of a, a controversial specification of what belongs to the Anselmian view. This is Eugene Nagasawa. His view, or right, his characterization, is that if you're an Anselmian, here's what you should say. You should say that, that to be God is to exhibit the most valuable possible package of great making features. So, and the emphasis on is that we should, not, we should, we should think in terms of the overall package um, of the divine perfections that are exhibited, uh, not in terms uh, of the particular uh, individual perfections. And I want to say something about, about both of these views. So here are, my, here are the main theses um, that I want to talk about. So, so the first thing I want to say is I want to talk about Nagasawa's view for a little bit, and I want to make an argument that Nagasawa's view uh, is in a way not demanding enough, <laughs> or there's kind of a pressure here. So, so here's the idea, the, you know, the idea is that you know, while Nagasawa's view might actually be a true set of necessary and sufficient conditions. I don't think it's adequately uh, sufficiently informative. I think a traditional Anselmian um, should resist his move to what he thinks uh, to, to offer kind of, uh, less um, demanding you know, initial constraints on what counts as an Anselmian conception of God. So that's the first thing I want to talk about. Second thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about Van Inwagen's view. And here I want to say um, that his account is not, in, is not demanding enough. Anselmian should hold not that God is the greatest possible being, but rather they, that we should hold qualifying as God to a sufficiently high absolute level of greatness. And I'll offer some tentative suggestions, not very far, but some tentative suggestions about how to understand um, that absolute absolute level, or some constraints that an Anselmian should, should recognize. Let me start by talking about sort of a very, very crudely put way of thinking about the method of traditional Anselmianism. I don't mean to criticize it because like, this is the way <laughs> I carry out my own Anselm. So to say it's crudely put um, just means I'm not trying to do all the qualifications and so forth. And again, I, 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 you know, this is very much like Anselm's own discussion of the divine perfections uh, in the Proslogion. So don't criticize it too much it's being too crude because it's very much like what Anselm himself does. So here's what you do. You start with some initial plausible sort of what Morris calls great making features, features that seem to be. Ways that it's better to be than not to be, what SCOTUS calls pure perfections. And for each of these initially uh, identified great making features, uh, you try to give some characterization of their nature. So knowledge or power, whatever. Talk a little bit about what, what knowledge involves, what power involves, what goodness involves, or agency, or whatever. You try to say something about its nature, you try to say something about, uh, as informative as you can, maybe you can't be very informative, about what makes it valuable, right, about its nature uh, and its value. And you have your array, you have your sort of initial characterization, your initial understanding of of the nature and value of these things. And what you need to do on the traditional view, uh, if you're an Anselmian, is you need to identify something like an intrinsic maximum, right, for each one of these features. Okay, you have to be able to say what counts as the highest or the most valuable level of knowledge or power or goodness that you can exhibit. I'll make a qualification or a a clarification of this in a second, but I mean, doing this generates all kinds of problems and tensions and difficulties. And the idea is that what you want to do is you want to find yourself with all these various tensions and conflicts, and you want to resolve the conflicts between these perfections. But in a certain way, I think this is an important part of traditional Anselmianism, is that when you either sort of truncate your initial (laughs) account of the divine perfections, or narrow them or otherwise qualify them, you're doing so in a way that preserves the thesis that the most perfect being exhibits this feature at its intrinsic maximum. So the idea is not, oh, because it's not possible to exhibit all of these features together, we'll just give up on some of the value of one of these features. We'll have God exhibit a less valuable level of knowledge or less valuable knowledge, uh, level of power, right? What you say is, no, here's our account. We misunderstood initially where knowledge and power and whatever have their value, we have to some way sort of re-describe these things and do so in a way that helps to see how still, nevertheless, God realizes all these features, all these features at their intrinsic maximum. This assumption that um, when, you're, when you're, you know, pr- when you're re-describing these perfections in a way to deal with tensions, you're trying to do so in a way that basically nails all of the perfections at their intrinsic maximum of value. This is what I call the distributive criterion that traditional Anselmianism refers to. When the traditional Anselmian says that God's the most perfect being along this whole array of perfections, what the Anselmian traditionally you know, means to say is that at each and every perfection, God hits it at the absolute maximum of value. Now, that's a very a super strong thesis. Let's not overstate it, okay? So, so the first thing is, when I say it's at the intrinsic maximum, one sort of crucial point, well, some people think it's crucial, I don't know, I'm just, I'll try to be neutral about whether it's really, but the idea is that what you're trying to hit the intrinsic maximum of is not necessarily that feature itself, but the intrinsic uh, maximum of its value. So, just to, not, again, not committing to a certain th- view on this, but if, some people think, for example, that it may be the, so, so consider like the old hoary example, there's an alleged tension between God's omnipotence and God's, um, the fact that God doesn't have the power to sin. Okay, and you know, there are, here's one way of characterizing uh, an assembly response. You might say, well, look, you might say, yes, it's true that in some sense the power to do sin is a power. Okay? But one might claim that it's not a power that it's better to have rather than to lack. So as God hits, in terms of the amount of value that sort of a certain range of powers can have, God hits it at the absolute maximum of value. Maybe God doesn't have all the power that a being could possibly have or whatever, right? So, so the idea is that what we're caring about here is the value not necessarily the features on which the value is supposed to supervene. It would be a much simpler view if these two things stuck together. I would love it if this were true, but I'm just saying this is not something that the, the traditional Anselmian is necessarily committed to. Here's the second thing, and this is another thing that I would love if, if it were true, but this isn't a commitment of traditional Anselmianism. When I talk about the distributive criterion, which is that every perfection is maximally, valuably realized in the Anselmian being, There's also not not an assumption that the value realized by some perfection is independent of how it's related to other perfection. So it could be that what makes something count as the most valuable level of power is determined by reference to something like goodness. So in some way, the perfections exhibit, again, a kind of a web, so that you can't determine how much value one of these features has except in relation to the others. The point, though, of the idea is that no matter how you specify these, whether atomistically or holistically, Once you have each of the perfections arrayed, God nails them all, okay? God hits the bell with every one of those divine perfections. And that's the traditional view. You might say, oh my gosh, that's incredibly demanding. And it really is incredibly demanding. You know, it's not easy to be God. I mean, it's a really, really, um, really, really demanding thing, right? Um, We shouldn't shouldn't lower the bar too much. But because of this, you know, and part of, I think, sort of how, you know, this sort of worry that maybe the traditional Anselmian is committing him or herself to too much, (coughs) by placing this sort of distributive constraint on the divine perfections. Nagasawa argues um, that, that we should instead go for a, a kind of revisionist Anselmianism in which there's no pressure to commit to the distributive criterion. So Nagasawa says reasonably enough, you know, why are you making yourself work so hard? If the whole idea is for God to be the greatest possible being, why be concerned about whether this happens by God nailing right, the highest level on each individual perfection, rather than God just exhibiting the greatest total package of perfections? Why think that God has to, be, has to have the, most, the highest valuable level of knowledge and power and goodness, or whatever, right? rather than just saying that regardless of whether God hits the top possible with each one, the whole idea is that whatever the greatest possible package of value to realize, that's what God, in fact, realizes. And so and that's a way of sort of making, making the task of Anselmian reconciliation of the perfections far less demanding. So instead of having to worry about how am I going to get God absolutely perfect in knowledge and power, the high, instead you just say, well, if God can't get both of those, no problem, right? We'll just lower the bar and say, whatever happens to be the greatest possible combination of these two that's possible, that's the one that we will say the Anselmian being has to have. Maybe it's true that some being could be greater in knowledge than this being, but wouldn't be greater overall. And that's what Nagasawa says we should be caring about. We're in favor of uh, the sort of Anselmian way of thinking about God's nature uh, and reasoning to what God's um, you know, features are going to be. So I've got a couple of worries about uh, Nagasawa's view. So I just want to lay out these worries really quickly, and, and uh, maybe you all can talk me out of them, or maybe you can give me more reason to worry about them. So I've got two worries. So, so part one, right? I mean, it may be that, you know, Nagasawa's idea is that, well, look, I mean, even the traditional Anselmian believes that God has the greatest possible package of features. We just want to, you know, we just don't want, maybe just, we don't commit ourselves to this tributive criterion. But I guess my, my suggestion is maybe the traditional Anselmian has good reason to take that further step. That not committing to it, um, you might think it's a lot like a real option for the Anselmian, right? You might think that really... Given these, these sorts of considerations, maybe we should think that in the, the greatest possible package of perfections would be realized in this sort of distributive way. So here's a question. Here's sort of a, a worry that I have. So, so suppose that a being exhibits, right, counterpossible, right, suppose that a being exhibits the greatest possible package of valuable features without satisfying the distributive criterion. So they don't max out at all the levels of value. There's like some combination that sort of goes below that. So here's my question What could explain? why these features are realized to the precise height of value that this package of features realizes. Again, assume there are like three perfections, knowledge, power, goodness, and you know, we can't hit the top at all of them, right? Now we've got the Anselmian being who realizes. What could explain why each of these features are realized to the precise level that they're realized so that the value would be maximized in the Anselmian being? Why would that be true? I mean, to say, well, that's just, you know, de dicto. It's like, that just make, that's just what makes it the Anselmian being. It's like, no, no, no. What I want to know, why does this being, right, why is it that this being has those features in that precise combination such that this being is going to maximize value? I don't know. Doesn't seem very promising to me. Nothing wholly distinct from God could explain this, right? So it's not like some other being tinkers with the divine perfections in God to make it so that God, this being, maximizes value. That's a stupid view. No one would hold that, okay? It can't be the great making features themselves. It can't be knowledge, goodness, power. Because these individual perfections aren't what explains it, right? What has to be explained is why they're coordinated (laughs) in a certain way so that together they maximize Value. Okay, so the individual perfections themselves can't do the explanatory work, right? We can't appeal to knowledge or to power or to goodness to explain why all these features are exhibited in a way that, that value is maximized. And God himself can't explain it because God's existence as absolutely perfect being is logically posterior to, right, these features being realized in God in a way that maximizes their value. So I look at it and say, you know, it just seems to me there's kind of there's kind of an explanatory puzzle that Nagasawa's view invites, that traditional Anselmianism doesn't invite. This is not to say, here's my qualification, this is not to say that traditional Anselmian doesn't have explanatory puzzles to deal with. I mean, traditional Anselmian also has to raise questions about you know, why is it th- this being exhibits these features to their maximal degree. But I want to say that there's like this extra, very hard and very disturbing, and sort of hard to, hard to figure out puzzle that Nagasawa's view invites that traditional Anselmianism doesn't invite. Okay, so there's like one worry or one, one sort of kind of pressure I think that, uh, that Nagasawa's view invites that traditional Anselmianism doesn't have to face. Here's a second. Traditional Anselmianism, and this is an argument not from explanation but from value theory. Traditional Anselmianism does not require some strong controversial view about the extent to which the divine perfections are value commensurable. Consider these three perfections, (coughs) knowledge, power, goodness. And now I raise the question, right? very, very crudely put, how much knowledge do you trade off to get a certain amount of power? How much knowledge should you be willing to give up to gain a certain amount of power in talking about the perfection of a being? The traditional Anselmian doesn't have to answer that question. Why? Well, traditional Anselmian only needs one view okay, about value and the perfect. It's dominance. A being that dominates every other being, every other possible being on each perfection is better than all the rest. You know, I shouldn't pronounce on things far above my field of, you know, my, but look, this looks pretty good, as, as like an Anselmian principle goes. it's like dominant. Yes, I know, organic unities and all of that can generate weirdness, but look, look at the principle, people. I mean, this looks like a really, really plausible view um, if you're going to start comparing right, uh, the, you know, the, value, uh, the value of beings. And that's all the traditional Anselmian needs. But, foreshadowing, right, a sign of substantive literature. So, Nagasawa's view doesn't have this feature, Nagasawa's view requires a fairly strong commensurability position. What Nagasawa's view needs is that the package of features exhibited by the insomniac being is gonna have a sing, either a single peak that somehow there's like a uniquely maximizing trade off between knowledge, goodness, power, and whatever other divine perfections there are. Or, and I don't like this answer as much, but I'm just gonna, I don't wanna fight over it right now. Or multiple equally good peaks. And I mean literally equally. Not, it's kind of vague, not incommensurable, but equally good. Here's what I think would be a problem if there were multiple incommensurably good peaks. I think there's like an important difference between incommensurability and equality here, right? If two things are equally good, you have no reason to prefer one to the other. No reason, okay? No reason at all, right? Look, I mean, if you've got incommensurable things, you have reason to prefer one to the other, right? You have reason to prefer the other to the one. It would be reasonable for you to have preferences um, when there are incommensurable goods that are at stake. So here's something I I don't think that it should be all right for me to prefer some other being to the actual Anselmian being. But if there were incommensurable values between them, it's like, oh, you know, I would really prefer a being that were, uh, had more power and a little less knowledge, okay? Or actually, maybe a little more goodness and a little more, whatever, right? You get the idea, right? So, so here's the worry. The worry is that um, Nagasawa's gotta have this. And it doesn't, actually, it doesn't look very plausible, if you sort of take seriously that these really are distinct perfections, knowledge, whatever, right? It doesn't seem very plausible to me that they would exhibit the kind of commensurability that would enable this sort of package of features view to go through. So I said, those are two sort of small, you know, not trivial reasons one might want to sort of um, dig in and sort of go for the more traditional Anselmian view. You know, maybe sort of how, how important you think they are depends on sort of how much trouble you think traditional Anselmianism is in. Uh, maybe if you don't think um, the worries about inconsistency so, are, and so forth are such big worries, maybe you won't be, maybe you won't find this so problematic. These two things both really do belong here. Okay, that's Jeff Speaks. He's a philosopher at Notre Dame. And that's, of course, Michael Jordan. Uh, And what do Michael Jordan uh, and Jeff Speaks have in common? Well, Jeff's been working on on perfect being theology lately. And one of his objections to a a certain way of sort of rendering perfect being theology uh, and some theology is is specifically an objection against Van Endewagen's way of formulating the view. And is that holds that you know, God is the being that qualifies as maximally great, and Peter van Nenwagen characterizes this as God is the greatest possible being, and speaks as, well, look, hold on a second. This seems to undersell, or sort of um, place too low, the bar that we should set for a being qualifying as God. Suppose, right, again, sort of, um, since we're, we might sort of be worried about the limits of our modal knowledge, um, we might sort of have overblown views about how great beings can be and so forth, right? Suppose it turned out that when you looked at the array of possible beings, it turned out that the greatest among them was Michael Jordan. So Jordan, right, um, it turns out is, of the great, of the beings out there, it turns out like Jordan is the greatest possible. He's a possible being, he's pretty great, okay, look, I mean, I mean, look at him, really. No, okay, um, he's pretty great, and uh, just, just going in there, um, He's pretty great, but we wouldn't say, if this was like a a discovery of our modal, uh, sort of a modal discovery we had, right? We wouldn't therefore conclude that Michael Jordan is God. Okay, we would be atheists. We would say, if this is as great as a being can get, then forget it. Atheism is the way to go. If you think that's right, I mean, if you think that, if we found out Michael Jordan is the greatest possible being, um, we should be atheists, it seems like there's something you know, at the very least sort of misleading about thinking that the way to conceive of God is just to say, well, look, what's like, what is like the range of possible beings out there? Which one of these is like at the top of the heap? The one that's at the top of the heap of possible beings is the one who qualifies as God. The idea is that maybe that's not right, the right way to think about it. Maybe what we ought to do is we ought to think about the standard as being something more like in absolute terms. In addition to being, of course, possible, um, we... Hope God it's going to be possible being. It's also got to be the case that this being has to exhibit a sufficiently high level of greatness, absolutely speaking, right? Not just in comparison to what beings are possible. We want to say, no, you've got to clear a certain bar. <laughs> and that and the bar you've got to clear is independent of the range of possible beings that are out there. Think about it this way. I mean, the, the, the way to understand like the greatest possible being, it's like sort of a two-step process. You say, well, what's possible and then what's greatest among those? This view says, no, really, these are two independent criteria. We seem to have a criterion for greatness that's not just in terms of what we already think to be possible. And that's what we should be looking to articulate and coming up with an alternative formulation of the Anselmian view. Okay, well, yeah, great, easier said than done. Adequately great, wonderful. That's not really super informative. And yeah, I, I agree, so... The first thing to be said in favor of something like an adequate greatness standard is that we must think that some things fail the test, right? If we think the Michael Jordan objection is a pretty good objection. The fact that we're like really, really, that I'm so far really vague about it and unhelpful, does, it shouldn't be enough to sort of shoot it down. And even, and even if I'm unable to say much at all that will satisfy you, maybe, uh, maybe it's a notion that we should take seriously anyway. Um, even if I can't do it, maybe someone smarter than I can. But I want to talk about like a couple of constraints that I think like a, an Anselmian should want to place on the search for an account of, of absolute or specification of what counts as adequate greatness. Here's the first one. This is like a little pet piece. So if you're going to be an Anselmian, be an Anselmian. Really believe that what you're talking about is a conception of value that's not defined in, ter- in relation to what we or any other creatures should find worthy of worship. So sometimes when, when sort of the going gets tough, Anselmians will turn to, well, you know, of course we can use this as a criterion. This being would be worthy of worship. This being wouldn't be, wouldn't be worthy of worship. And one thing I just find sort of problematic about that um, that I'll expand upon in a second is that it appeals to seemingly a relational notion of value, which is not what Anselmian value is concerned with. And that's just betterness, pure perfection, right? Not in relation, not in relation to us. The second is that I don't know if this is like just an epistemic worry or not. Whether or not a being is the sort of being we should worship might be, in a way, um, influenced by all of the kinds of reasons for action that we have that are not governed by our views on this being's just absolute goodness. So there are bound to be all sorts of confounding variables um, if we start thinking in terms um, of worship worthiness. And generally, right, I don't think that we should appeal to any relational notion of value at all. The kind of goodness that Anselm uh, has in mind, um, that Anselmians are supposed to be appealing to, is like I said, they're pure perfections, right? just betterness, right? If you have a worry about betterness, you just don't be an Anselmian, okay? You gotta be something, be an Aristotelian, a really, really hardline Aristotelian, but don't be an Anselmian, because Anselmians are committed to um, having a conception of value that's not relational, um, but absolute. And so there's a kind of a tendency, I mean, I mean, if you start talking about like adequately good, the tendency to wanna to talk in relational terms is almost irresistible. It's like adequately good for what purpose? Or for whom? Or for what end? So it seems to me that um, if you recognize the following two things, that just being the best possible isn't good enough, and you can't appeal to any relational notion of value to do the work, seems to me there's like only like one thing you can say, is that there's something like a notion of complete perfection that can be specified without reference to the possibility of being instanced. That we can talk about goodness um, and what, whether a, having a certain feature is good and what it's you know what counts as better or worse uh, with respect to realizing that feature, in a way that sort of abstracts from the possibility of it's actually being instanced. Okay, I mean I think about this. I mean just to go back to a relational notion of value for a second. I mean so for example I think that knowledge is a human good, and I think that's something I know and I can talk about what counts as knowledge and what counts as more knowledge. Without having any strong view yet about what kind of knowledge is really available for human beings, right? It could be that like skepticism is true, right? And that stinks because knowledge is such a great good. That seems to like show that we can pull apart knowledge as something that's good, we talk about more or less of, and whether or not what knowledge that is possible for us to get. Okay. Similarly, I think that in the Anselmian case, we should be thinking in terms of you know, the difference between the like, two independent judgments. One is what would count as the Anselmian God, you know, the Anselmian realizes the greatest possible level, right, of this goodness, and second, sort of, um, what would this, um, you know, whether it's possible um, that a being could do so. Of course, right, there couldn't be an Anselmian God unless it's possible that a completely perfect being exists. But we don't, and this is what I'm, was the initial criticism. But we shouldn't define um, the Anselmian God's level of perfection by reference to the limits of possibility. The level of perfection, right? So, so of course, the Anselmian God—it's right, got to be possible if it exists. All right, that's obvious, right? but we, don't, we shouldn't try to characterize what counts as absolute perfection for the Anselmian being either by reference to relational notion of goodness or sort of limited in terms of what's, uh, what's actually possible for that being to achieve. I know that's still kind of vague, um, but hopefully we're like, beginning to put like, constraints on what could count as an adequate view uh, enough, to make, enough to make some progress. Let me conclude just by making a couple of quick remarks about methodological implications. This, here's one thing that's sort of interesting about the greatest possible being formulation. Is that um, it makes our understanding of the existence of the Anselmian God in, in a way sort of makes it impossible to challenge God's existence by arguing that the space of a possibility to realize value is smaller than we thought. If it's the greatest possible being, if we show that possibility space is smaller than we thought, that doesn't challenge God's existence because God will just be the greatest one within that possibility space. What it entails, right, is that... We couldn't argue from the existence of an Anselmian God that the space of metaphysical possibility is larger than we thought. That something's got to be possible because God exists. That's not, not a direction that we can work because, after all, you know, God could exist no matter what the size of possibility space, right, on the Anselmian view. If you have the view that I want to defend, by defending the absolute greatness criterion, Anselmian method- methodology can be transformed a bit. It seems to me that if you hold on to this sort of view, we can argue from the following. Suppose that we think we judge the of being as possible. Maybe by revelation it's shown to me that it's possible. Maybe I think the Bible teaches this. Maybe I think the, uh, that church tradition shows me, right, that there is such a thing as an Inselmian being that that's possible, right? Well, if I judge that a being would be greater, <laughs> if that being could bring about some result, that gives me reason to think that that result is possible. So while well, the Anselmian well, the greatest possible being way of for- formulating uh, Anselmianism makes it impossible to make arguments for the for like the size of possibility space being larger than we thought it seems to me that if you accept right this gesture toward a different sort of Anselmianism this absolute absolute goodness criterion uh, seems to me that would help us you know we could you know put it to work a little bit in coming to further judgments about what's really metaphysically possible that's all I have to say thank you all very much look forward to your questions <laughs>